This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... Some of them have actually been in jail without trial since 2001. That's when the government of Eritrea shut down the independent press. We don't know whether, in fact, some of them are still alive. That's Angela Quintel, Africa Program Coordinator at the Committee to Protect Journalists, calling Eritrea one of the most censored countries in the world, with about 50 journalists currently in prison. Details coming up. Also, heavily armed Al-Shabaab jihadists stormed an African Union base in Somalia today, triggering a fierce firefight. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres at the start of a two-day visit to Nigeria is in northeast Borno state where the country has been struggling against Islamist militants. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja, Nigeria. The United Nations Information Center in Nigeria said the Secretary General is expected to meet with the Borno State Governor, Baba Gana Zulum, in Maiduguri, the state capital, before embarking on a field mission where he will meet with families affected by the Boko Haram conflict ravaging the region for more than 12 years. The center said he will also evaluate the impact of climate change on vulnerable communities and assess progress made as well as the challenges of the COVID-19 recovery. Guterres will then head to Nigeria's capital to meet with President Mohamed Buhari and Vice President Yemi Oshibanjo and other top cabinet officials. In Abuja, Guterres is expected to officiate a wreath-laying ceremony for victims of the 2011 bombing at the UN House and will then meet with young people's delegates, women, religious leaders and diplomatic communities and journalists. It is the first visit by the UN Secretary General to Nigeria since his appointment. The visit is part of his annual Ramadan solidarity visits to nations. But this year, Guterres is focusing on countries affected by terrorism and also highlighting the impact of the Russia-Ukraine war on the African continent. Before arriving in Nigeria, Guterres already visited Senegal and Niger. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Mali's ruling military junta announced yesterday that it was breaking off from an eight-year-old defense accord with its former colonial ruler, France. A spokesman for Mali's ruling junta cited multiple instances of French forces violating the country's airspace. And he mentioned France's decision taken in February to pull out its troops from Mali. France has not so far issued an official reaction to the military junta's announcement. Tensions between France and the junta in Mali, which seized power in August 2020, have been rising for some time. 
Heavily armed Al-Shabaab jihadists stormed an African Union base in Somalia today, triggering a fierce firefight. The French news agency AFP reports soldiers from Burundi vacated the camp and went to a nearby village before helicopter gunships arrived, providing aerial support. The jihadists who launched the attack with a car bomb issued a statement saying dozens of soldiers from Burundi stationed at the camp were killed. The claim, however, could not be verified and there were no immediate comment from AU's transition mission in Somalia or ATMIS. ATMIS replaces the previous AMISOM peacekeeping force when its mandate expired at the end of March. The mission of ATMIS is to help Somali forces take primary responsibility for security in the troubled Horn of Africa nation. Al-Shabaab has been waging a deadly insurgency against Somalia's fragile central government for more than a decade. The Ethiopian Human Rights Commission says it is investigating a video shared online that appears to show government troops abusing and then shooting an ethnic Tigrayan boy. Galmo Dawit reports from Addis Ababa. The four-minute video reveals a young boy being surrounded by men in Ethiopian army uniforms. The forces are seen abusing an alleged ethnic Tigray teenager who they refer to as being from Abiadi, a location in northern Tigray region of Ethiopia. In response to a query from BOA, the state-run Human Rights Commission says it is gathering information regarding the incident. In the video, the boy with blood on his face is seen sitting while men in uniform surround him and threaten him with death. One of the men in uniform calls for the boy to suffer rather than being killed immediately. They tell another teenage girl to forcefully feed the boy. Finally, one man steps forward and fights on the boy, and the video ends. BOA cannot independently verify the location of the incident or the identities of the individuals in the footage. Asked about the video, both the Ethiopian government communication minister and the Ethiopian minister of defense spokesperson declined to comment. A similar incident was reported by rice groups in January 2021 in which Ethiopian army members were seen executing a number of civilians in Mahabaradago in central Tigray. Rice groups Amnesty International had verified the killing of 11 civilians in that incident. Forces from the rebel Tigray People's Liberation Front also have been accused of committing human rights violations. In February 2022, Amnesty International reported that TPLA forces and their affiliates have killed more than a dozen people and gang-raped women in towns of the Amhara region they occupied. The Ethiopian Human Rights Commission recently reported that more than 740 civilians were killed in Tigray war between July of last year and this March. Both the government and the TPLF deny accusations of rights violations, saying their operations do not target civilians. Galmudait for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I'm your host, Yehiyas Wuhib, and you are listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Today is World Press Freedom Day, but for many in the news business in Africa, there's little to celebrate. Human rights and media organizations say hundreds of reporters remain in jail just for doing their jobs, and assaults and murders of journalists are common. Darren Taylor reports. 
Africa Program Coordinator at the Committee to Protect Journalists, Angela Quintal, says few countries have made advances in terms of media freedom recently. We have seen the unbanning of newspapers in Tanzania, and that's important. But we've still got a host of legislation on the statute books that is inherently anti-democratic and anti-press freedom. Egypt has been the worst jailer of journalists in Africa for years. But you've suddenly seen the release of at least five journalists who were behind bars. But that's not to say that things are great for journalists, obviously, in Egypt. The censorship continues. There's the use of false news. It is still an autocratic state. Mostly, she says, the rights of journalists in Africa to report the truth are still threatened. Honestly, I wish I could say there was good news and that we've seen an improvement in media freedom across the continent. But I think generally speaking, what we have seen, it has been a deterioration. Especially disappointing, says Quintal, is the erosion of media rights in countries previously regarded as beacons of press freedom, like Ghana. We had this terrible case just recently where we had this young investigative journalist who'd gone to cover a military hospital that had actually been abandoned. He'd initially got permission to go in, and then the next thing you had the police heavies effectively trying to stop him from filming. They slapped him a couple of times, they put this massive cement slab on his back. They then forced him to do push-ups. She also refers to the apparent assassination of journalist Ahmed Hussein Swale Divela. He'd been writing about corruption in his country's soccer leagues when gunmen opened fire on his car in Accra in January 2019. Like in other African countries where authorities promised to protect the media, says Quintal, no one's been held accountable for the killing. The problem with impunity means that, in fact, people and those in authority, those in the state apparatus and so on, actually then see that the climate is free for them to do what they want to do. The CPJ calls Eritrea one of the most censored countries in the world, with about 50 journalists currently imprisoned. Some of them have actually been in jail without trial since 2001. That's when the government of Eritrea shut down the independent press. We don't know whether, in fact, some of them are still alive. Quintal's also concerned about Ethiopia, where just a few years ago, Abiy Ahmed came to power promising sweeping reforms, including media freedom. He released journalists. But now, with the onset of civil war, Ahmed's police are arresting and jailing them again. This censorship, you've had journalists having to leave the country to go into exile. You've had some newspapers suspended. You've had foreign journalists being booted out of the country. In Rwanda, says Quintal, repressive laws have paralyzed traditional media outlets. This forced many journalists to try to work via social media. And the majority of journalists currently who are jailed in Rwanda are actually YouTubers. So it just shows how governments actually shift their attention to wherever they think that there is going to be dissent. The CBJ says even in some of Africa's strongest democracies, like South Africa, journalists are publicly threatened with assaults such as rape and beaten, and no one's prosecuted. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. (laughs) 
Journalists in Tanzania have called on the country's government to continue to improve media freedom by amending laws that restrict press freedom. Reporter Aduesu has more from Dar es Salaam. Over the past six years, news outlets in Tanzania have gone through a difficult time. Some journalists faced criminal prosecution and have been jailed after the government imposed new laws to restrict press freedom. Journalists say the situation is improving now as the government has started to make changes. Salome Kitomari, chairperson of the Media Institute of Southern Africa Tanzania chapter, explains. And uh level of uh, self-censorship and editorial censorship now is, uh, is, uh, is going down compared to previous time. So uh, to my observation, I can say <clears throat> the situation is not worse. The situation is good. And uh, we're still uh, asking for the government to improve the laws and to have the written document that will guide the media industry rather than promises uh, pro- a lot of promising in the in the in the in the public. Khalifa Said, chief editor for Chanzo Media, says President Samia Sulu Hassan's administration has shown interest in changing media policies set by former President John Magufuli, who died last year. Uh, the Samia administration lifted the ban on those newspapers, uh, including uh, Tanzania Daima, Manahalisi, Mawio, and Mseto. Uh, there were uh, uh, online media that were suspended during uh, the previous administration and the current administration uh, decided to uh, unsuspend them and bringing them back to uh, operations. We, we also, of course, uh, uh, haven't had, you know, the threats, like the, the threats that were, uh, were common during uh, President Magufuli, uh, you know, towards journalists, towards editors, she should go ahead and implement what stakeholders, what press freedom stakeholders in Tanzania have been always been, have always been urging. Journalists hope to see their working environment improved in the country as the world commemorates Press Freedom Day. Journalist Edward Coro says it is time for change. The media has a massive role to play in um, setting agenda and uh, bringing um, development to any country. However, this was not the case uh, in the last five uh, five years uh, because uh, we had uh, some draconian laws such as the Access to Information Act, which really hindered uh, members of the media to do their noble duty. Nape the Minister for Information, says the government is in the process of collecting comments on amendments to the Media Service Act, which together with Electronic and Postal Communication Act and Access to Information Act had been used to suppress media freedom and right to information. Idi Weso for VOA News, Dar es Salaam.
journalists in Cameroon are marking World Press Freedom Day May 3rd with calls for government troops to and rebels to stop abusing reporters covering the separatist conflict. Cameroonian media groups say at least 80 journalists have fled from the country's troubled western regions because of threats to their safety. Moki Edwin Kindeka reports from Yaoundé. 36-year-old Lambert Kevin is a baker in Cameroon's capital, Yaoundé. But two years ago, he was a reporter in Cameroon's northwest region for Canal 2 International, one of the country's top TV stations reporting on the separatist conflict. Kevin says he decided to leave the area and his career after covering an attack on a village that left scores of people dead and homes burned. But it wasn't reporting on the brutality or violence that pushed him to flee. Kevin says he was ordered by both the Anglophone rebels and government troops to report lies. After intimidation, at gunpoint, the fighters instructed me to report that the houses were burned by the military. When I finally got to the city where the houses were burned, the military equally ordered me. They ordered me to report that the houses were touched by the separatists. Kevin says both the separatists and government troops demanded to read his reports before publication and threatened to kill him if he said anything negative about them. Both Cameroon's military and rebel fighters deny threatening or abusing journalists. But Cameroon's Union of Journalists says since the conflict began in 2017, Separatists have abducted 16 journalists and four of them died in their custody. Cameroon authorities blame separatists for attacks on 12 community radio stations in the western regions and forcing eight newspapers to close. Meanwhile, the Cameroon Association of English-speaking journalists, Kamasej, says government troops are holding nine journalists that were reporting in the regions. Kamasaj says at least 80 journalists have fled the western regions, most to the cities of Douala, Yaoundé and Bafusam. Nga Christian Bibgo is publisher of Cameroon's lone English daily newspaper, The Garden Post, and president of the Cameroon Association of English Language Publishers. He says his association assists journalists who flee threats from troops and the rebels, also known as Ambazonian, or amber fighters. The first thing you have to do is talk to them and build them up psychologically, make them see the importance of regaining self-confidence and healing their minds. And sometimes we've gone to the extent of giving them held assistance for those of them who maybe suffered one or two attacks by either the military or amber fighters. And then we offered some of them office space at the Guardian Post. They have access to internet. The Committee to Protect Journalists in February joined 26 groups in calling on Cameroon's president, Paul Bia, to release all people detained for free expression, including four journalists, Thomas Awajinu, Mancho Bibixi, C. Conrad, and Kingsley Fomonyo Njoka, were arrested between 2016 and 2020 and are being held at Yaoundé's Kondengi Central Prison. The four journalists were charged with terrorism and collaborating with separatists, charges they deny. Despite the arrest, Communication Minister René Emmanuel Sadi 
claims the media is free in Cameroon, but warns journalists against what he calls attempts to destroy the country's image. Media men and women in Cameroon carry out their daily work in total freedom and independence. However, incitement to violence and hostility against the homeland is not tolerable in a rule of law and in a society of freedom and responsibility. The Cameroon Association of English-Speaking Journalists on World Press Freedom Day called on both rebel fighters and government troops to stop attacking journalists. The separatists have been fighting since 2017 to carve out an independent English-speaking state in Cameroon's northwest and southwest regions. Cameroon's English speakers complain of second-class treatment by the country's French-speaking majority. Moki Edwin Kinzuka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. Zambia's $18.5 billion in external debt hampers the country's ability to advance social and economic initiatives, especially in the COVID-19 pandemic. President Hakainde Hichelema's administration says debt restructuring is a top priority as the country awaits the conclusion of the $1.4 billion credit bailout from the International Monetary Fund. Kathy Short reports from Lusaka. Both private schools and public schools in Zimbabwe have been raising fees to deal with the country's high inflation rate, with rising prices for most commodities, and the Zimbabwe dollar now trading at about 400 to the US dollar on the informal market. School fees are another burden for families. At the same time, for months, teachers have been logged in a wage dispute with government. Many have said they can't even afford to travel to schools to teach, especially in rural areas. Robert Masaraure of the Amalgamated Rural Teachers Union of Zimbabwe says the government is reneged on its mandate to provide free education. Zambia has a 750 million US dollar euro bond due in September but doesn't have the money to pay it. Last November, Zambia became the first African country to default on foreign debt during the coronavirus pandemic. Finance Minister Stumbekom Sokotwane says the expected IMF bailout will provide much-needed fiscal space to Zambia and promote economic development. Zambia reached a preliminary Zambia reached a preliminary agreement on the bailout to the International Monetary Fund in December, and it goes to the IMF board for approval in June. For the next three years. The $1.4 billion credit comes in addition to a special drawing rights grant of $1.2 billion the IMF issued last year. The support has allowed Zambia to hire 30,000 teachers and more than 11,000 medical staff. Finance Minister Msokotwane has nothing but praise for the IMF. So the money, of course, uh, came from the budget, but I'm happy to say that the IMF gave us a grant uh, through those allocation of special drawing rights. I think what came to us was uh, 1.2 billion US dollars, which for me is amazing because this is the first time that the IMF has given so much money as a grant, uh, of course, to all the countries in the world, but including ourselves. We wish more would have been done for poor countries and 
ourselves, and this is something that we are going to discuss. Boyd Mulea is an economist at the Center for Trade and Policy Development in Zambia. He says the government urgently needs to access the IMF credit bailout. Definitely will need urgent assistance in its debt restructuring quest in order to manage its uh, huge debt service burden and avoid a major setback through another serious default on its debt. And further, debt restructuring definitely will be critical for Zambia as it is required to free up resources to channel towards the productive sectors and allow for growth that will help in widening the tax base and support debt repayments and more social sector spending recovery agenda. In the past, there has been criticism that the conditions IMF attaches to its loans are too harsh and have harmed developing countries. But IMF officials have said it has transformed and focuses more on a consultative approach instead of imposing its programs on countries accessing its loans. Kathy Short for VOA News in Lusaka, Zambia. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Cornelius Tanner, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.